This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where your host, that's me, Erica Anderson, brings you unique and interesting conversations with Christian women working in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. See you there. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. Universal salvation is no newly marketed scheme that can boast of great age and antiquity. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Today's episode was preached by Lemuel Haynes. He preached it in Vermont in 1805. Joel, I am really excited about this episode with Lemuel Haynes and this sermon. It was one that we've wanted to do for a very long time, but we kept uh, running into problems getting it finished. Now that it is, though, I love this episode. Every other sermon that we've had, we... We don't know how long the preacher could have been working on that sermon. That could have been something he was thinking about for a month. That could have been something he was working on for a full week. I mean, every other sermon probably had hours and hours and hours poured into it, but not this sermon. This sermon by Lemuel Haynes, Universal Salvation, a very ancient doctrine, is not like the others because it was preached literally on the spot in the minute in the moment he was responding to someone else with his sermon and they said would you like to say a few words and he gets up and preaches a sermon it's really unlike any other sermon one of the best ways to look at lemuel haynes's life is to start at the end of it at the at his death he has a personally chosen epitaph on his tombstone that reads here lies the dust of a poor hell deserving sinner who ventured into eternity trusting wholly on the merits of christ for salvation in the full belief of the great doctrines he preached while on earth he invites his children and all who read this to trust their eternal interest in the same foundation He was an incredible man of God. He was born in 1753, and we don't know who his parents were. He was abandoned at five months old, and he was, you know, chosen and raised by another family, and they uh, they taught him to love God. He would end up dying in 1833. Now, one thing that makes his story very unique, especially in American history, is he was an African-American man. And he would end up going and fighting in the Revolutionary War. He wouldn't be able to stay long because he would contract typhus. Uh, But the congregation that he ends up having is predominantly a white congregation. And so for that time, during the 1700s, this was a very unique thing. Yeah, after the war, he taught Greek and Latin and becomes both the first African-American to become an ordained minister. And then in 1804, he goes on to be the first african-american to get an honorary master's degree he continues to buck the trend by he marrying a white school teacher and the two of them would end up having 10 children together and he becomes the pastor of a couple different congregations again predominantly or all white uh, one in massachusetts one in new york one in connecticut and the one that he ends up preaching and that we hear the sermon in will be in vermont As you can imagine, being an African-American minister to, again, a predominantly white congregation, he he was the subject of a lot of prejudice and division at times. He he got kicked out of a a few churches uh, for a time, but he never let it affect who he was. I mean, he was was a genuinely faithful family man. We have these, these letters that his children would write to him where we can see that his children, as they grow up, are, are thanking their father for leading them in prayer and in worship. And you can see that, that he had a strong identity in who he was as, as a believer, and he never let the world around him affect his identity in Christ. 
Yeah, Joel, we specifically have one letter where one son was writing, uh, you know, to his brother, and he said, if it weren't for all the times we spent reading the Bible around the dinner table and praying and singing songs together, and, and dad, you know, Lemuel Haynes leading these sermons, I don't believe I would have a faith today. Like, I think my faith, my foundation was built around that dinner table with dad. That is one story that really stuck out to me, especially because, you know, not all of these people we go through in Revive Thoughts have the best family life and stories. It's really cool to see specifically the children praising what their dad did. And at this point, that when they wrote that letter, the dad had already passed for a while. He was also a, a faithful fighter for abolition. He It was something he wrote a lot about and talked a lot about. One of the great arguments he used that really helped change a lot of opinions was simply the fact that, hey, Revolutionary War, Americans wanted to get away from the tyranny of slave or Britain. That's the same way that, you know, slaves feel about slavery. And you guys need to recognize it's not fair for you to be free from Britain while also holding people to slavery. That was a very effective argument. In 1805, Lemuel Haynes is going, he's, his plans are to travel to another church and preach there, but along the way, he gets told that a man named Hosea Below was coming to visit his church, and Hosea Below was a well-known universalist at the time. He would argue that when people died, that they, they would go to heaven, and that a loving God would not send someone to hell. And so when, when uh, Lemuel Haynes hears that this man is coming to his church, he turns around and goes back to his church just to, to, to listen, and he wanted he wants to hear what this guy's about. So Hosea Below delivers his sermon and Haynes is there listening. And afterwards they say, hey, you know, would you like to say anything? Is there anything you'd like to follow up with? And Lemuel Haynes gets up there and goes, well, you know, I do have a response or something I'd like to say and preach about. This is on my heart. He then delivers the sermon you're about to listen to, Universal Salvation, a very ancient doctrine. And I love it because you never hear him use the name Hosea below. He never d- goes directly after anything that was said or personal, yet he spends the entire sermon comparing universal universalism to basically Satan. He spends the entire sermon just ripping Hosea below without ever saying his name. And at the very end, he just has this beautiful little moment where I won't spoil it for you. I listen to it. I love it so much. It's so effective. And like I said, he did not have hours and hours to prepare for it. This sermon was delivered in the moment off the cuff with a love for his people and a willingness to not let them hear heresy. Genesis 3-4, and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. The Holy Scriptures are a peculiar fountain of instruction. They inform us of the origin of creation and of the primitive state of man, of his fall or apostasy from God. It appears that he was placed in the Garden of Eden with full liberty to eat of its delicious fruits, except what grew on one tree. If he ate of that, then he should surely die, was the declaration of the Most High. Happy were the human pair in this delightful paradise, until a certain preacher, in his journey, came that way and disturbed their peace by endeavoring to reverse the prohibition of the Almighty, as in our text, you will not surely die. We may look at uh, the character of the preacher, to the doctrines espoused, to the audience, to the medium or instrument of the preaching. So as to the preacher... I would observe he has many names given to him in the scriptures. The most common is the devil. That it was he that disturbed the happiness of our first parents 
is evident from 2 Corinthians 11.3 and many other passages of Scripture. He was once an angel of light and knew better than to preach such doctrine. He did violence to his own reason. But to be a little more specific, let us count the ways. Number one, he is an old preacher. He lived over 1,700 years before Abraham, over 2,430 years before Moses, 4,004 years before Christ. It is now at least 5,809 years since he began preaching. By this time, he must have acquired great skill in his art. Number two, he is a very cunning, artful preacher. When Elimaeus, the sorcerer, came to turn away the people from the faith, he is said to be full of all subtlety and a child of the devil. Not only because he was an enemy to all unrighteousness, but on account of his carnal cunning and craftiness. Number three, he's a very laborious, unwearied preacher. He's been in the ministry almost 6,000 years, and yet his zeal has not in the least diminished. The Apostle Paul compares him to a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. When God inquired of this persevering preacher, Job 2, 2 says, Where did he come from? He answered the Lord and said, from going back and forth across the earth and from walking it all over. He is far from being contained within the narrow limits of a town, state, or continent, but his haunt and travel is very large and extensive. Number four, he is a complex preacher, if I may so express myself. He makes use of the Bible when he needs to, as in his sermon to our Savior, in a temptation found in Matthew 4, 6. He mixes truth with error in order to make it go well or to carry his point. Number five, he's a presumptuous preacher. Notwithstanding, God had declared in the most plain and positive terms, you will surely die, or in dying, you will die. Yet this audacious wretch had the impudence to confront omnipotence and says, you will not surely die. Number six, he's a successful preacher. He draws a great number after him. No preacher can command attention like him. He was successful with our first parents in the old world. Noah once preached to those spirits who are now in the prison of hell and told them from God that they would die. But this preacher came along and declared the contrary, you will not surely die. The greater part, it seems, believed him and went to destruction. So it was with Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot preached to them, the substance of which was, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But this old declaimer told them, No danger, no danger, you will not surely die. And they listened. And Lot seemed to them as one who mocked. They believed the universal preacher and were utterly destroyed. Agreeably to the the declaration of the Apostle Jude, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Next, uh, let us attend to the doctrine espoused by this preacher. You will not surely die. A bold statement without a single argument to support it. The death contained in the threatening was doubtless eternal death, as nothing but this would express God's feelings towards sin or render an infinite atonement necessary. To suppose it to be spiritual death is to blend crime and punishment together. To suppose temporal death to be the curse of the law, then believers are not delivered from it, according to Galatians 3.13. What Satan meant to preach 
was that there is no hell and that the wages of sin is not death, but eternal life. Now, we will take notice of the hearer addressed by the preacher. Uh, this we have in the text. And the serpent said to the woman that Eve had not so much experience as Adam is evident, and so was not equally able to withstand temptation. Uh, this doubtless was the reason why the devil chose her, with whom he might hope to be successful. His kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. He's a great enemy to light. St. Paul gives us some account of him in his day in 2 Timothy 3, 6. For of this sort are those who creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sin, led away with diverse lust. Uh, the same apostle observes in Romans, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the simple. Now, the instrument or medium made use of by the preacher will now be considered. And this we have in the text. And the serpent said, But how did the devil preach through the serpent? For one, to save his own character and the better to carry his point. Had the devil come to our first parents personally and unmasked, they would have more easily seen the deception. The reality of a future punishment is at times so clearly impressed on the human mind that even Satan is constrained to own that there is a hell, although at other times he denies it. He does not wish to have it known that he is a liar. Therefore, he conceals himself that he may better accomplish his designs and save his own character. And also, the devil is an enemy to all good, to all happiness and excellence. He's opposed to the joy of the brutes. He took delight in tormenting the swine. And the serpent, before he set up preaching universal salvation, was a cunning, beautiful, and happy creature. But now his glory is departed, for the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. There's a kind of double cunning in the matter. Satan gets the preacher and the hearer also. Another reason why Satan employs instruments in his service is because his empire is large and he cannot be everywhere himself. For he has a large number at his command that love and approve of his work, delight in building up his kingdom, and stand ready to go at his call. Inferences. Uh, number one, the devil is not dead, but still lives and is able to preach as well as ever. You will not surely die. Number two, universal salvation is no newly marketed scheme, but can boast of great age and antiquity. Number three, see reason why it ought to be rejected, because it is an ancient, devilish doctrine. Number four, see one reason why it is that Satan is such an enemy to the Bible and to all who preach the gospel because of that injunction. And he said to them, you will go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved, but he that does not believe will be damned. Number five, see how hard Satan exerted himself to convince our first parents there's no hell. Because if the denunciation of the Almighty was true, he would be afraid of them to believe in it. Was there no truth in future punishment, or was it only a temporary evil? Satan would not be so busy in trying to convince men that there is none. 
It is his nature and his element to lie. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Number six, we can infer and learn that ministers should not be proud of their preaching. If they preach the true gospel, they only, in substance, repeat Christ's sermons. If they preach, you will not surely die. They only make use of the devil's old notes that he delivered almost 6,000 years ago. Number seven, it is probable that the doctrine of universal salvation will still prevail, since this preacher is yet alive and not in the least ineffective. And every effort against him only enrages him more and more and excites him to new inventions and exertions to build up his cause. To close the subject, as I have confined myself wholly to the character of Satan, I trust no one will feel himself personally injured by this short sermon. But should any imbibe a degree of friendship for this age divine and think that I have not treated this universal preacher with the respect and veneration which he justly deserves, well, let them be so kind as to point it out. And I most cheerfully retract. For has ever been a maxim with me, render to each their due. Lemuel Haynes says that the saying that you will not surely die is an ancient doctrine. He compares Satan to a preacher and basically says this is his message. One of his oldest messages is that you will not surely die. And even though most people, most Christians especially, would say, oh, you know, we don't believe universalism. Obviously, that's wrong. I feel like the idea, though, that I won't die or that my death is really far off or that maybe my friends won't die, or those people I talk to, they're not going to die, or I'm not really responsible. Their fate, heaven or hell, is so far away. I feel like that's still the way Satan manipulates us. He puts our death either so far away that it's not something to worry about right now, or the death of people we loved far away. He's always kind of making us live and think, like, I'm not going to die, or I'm not dying anytime soon, or I'm not, you know, I don't know. He kind of gets that into your head, though. And even though we Christians wouldn't believe that, it's kind of how we live our lives. Do we really live our lives feeling like we could die today? Do we really live our lives thinking other people could? And then as for the culture, like, I don't know a better way to describe 21st century uh, America and the West, then we will not surely die. I mean, it seems to drip with everything that we do, everything that we get involved with just seems to be forgetting the fact that someday we're going to die and someday we're going to be judged. And I think that this uni very old doctrine of the devil is very much alive and well today. Thank you for listening to Revive Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Ramon Pierre. Ramon is the lead pastor for preaching and missions at Roosevelt Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. He is the author of Gospel Shaped Living, which is a part of the Gospel Shaped Church curriculum published by the Good Book Company and the Gospel Coalition. Locally, Ramon serves as president of the Roosevelt Row Community Development Corporation and as a board member for the Gospel Coalition Arizona and the Surge Network. He is a graduate of Princeton University and has a Master's of Divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Ramon and his wife, Danae, live in downtown Phoenix and have four children. If you want to know more about this sermon, visit our website at revivethoughts.com. There you can find a transcript of this sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts. If you would like to share this episode 
we really appreciate it when you do. It does go a long way. This show grows mostly by word of mouth and people letting others know about what we're doing here. And if you have listened to this episode and have not listened to other episodes of Revive Thoughts, go ahead and check our other sermons. We've done about 20 so far. Also, if you're sharing them, you can share them by word of mouth, texting, or on social media. And if you're on social media, be sure to give our page a like on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, especially Facebook. We have a very active Facebook community, and you definitely want to be a part of what we're doing there. We put out more information about these sermons and preachers throughout the week. And lastly, if you can give us a five stars review on iTunes, it really does help and go a long way. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where you'll hear from Christian female entrepreneurs, politicians, ministry leaders, authors, athletes, CEOs, and more. I'm Erica Anderson, mom of two, writer, and host and creator of Worth Your Time. I created this podcast because I wanted to hear from more women like me who were interested in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. How do we navigate the choppy waters of partisan politics? How do we engage with culture honorably as Christian professionals? I know you don't have a lot of time, and that's why I make every second worth it on this show. You'll hear from women that aren't on every other Christian podcast, and we get really real, because I don't know how to function any other way. Episodes drop every other Tuesday. Hope to see you there.